Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I am one of the co-hosts, Tom Nixon, and unfortunately for me, our guest, and you, we're not joined by my other co-host, which is Jay Harrington, has a speaking engagement. So he's otherwise detained. I will try my best to man a solo flight, but I'm not alone because I have a really great guest who I'm very honored to be meeting. I think you guys will enjoy listening to him as well. And he is a digital serial entrepreneur. You might know him as the founder of Copyblogger, the brains behind Further, as well as his latest venture, Unemployable. And that, of course, is Brian Clark. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm a little bit bummed that Jay wasn't here to meet you and talk to you because you guys share something in common, and that is you both were once practicing attorneys, and you've both since moved on from the practice of law. Is that right? Yeah, but we probably just, you know, sit here and and uh, alienate your your lawyer uh, listeners who are still practicing. So we wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, we do have a few, though, that I've either contemplating they're currently contemplating or have already executed a, a exodus from the practice of law and they, they still listen to what we have to say. So that's good. Well, how far back does your law career go? And can you just talk through sort of the evolution of how you got from there to then copy blogger and where you are today? Yeah. So I graduated from law school in 94, um, got a really good uh, gig at a big law firm, uh, you know, right out of the gate you've got your own office, you've got an assistant, you've got a nice salary. It was, you know, I should have nothing to complain about, but of course I did. (laughs) And um, I spent four years basically thinking, what else can I do? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, most of that time, you know, from 94, which was the beginning of the commercial internet, uh, you know, I actually didn't buy my first computer until then, because the only reason I thought of to get a computer was to connect to the internet, thanks to my early love of William Gibson and Neil Stevenson and these science fiction writers who talked about what was coming, you know, with cyberspace and the metaverse and all of that stuff that's kind of starting to really happen (laughs) right about now. Um, And like a lot of uh, frustrated attorneys, I wanted to be a writer Um, I studied screenwriting uh, for a while, almost went down that path, but something about asking permission from New York or LA didn't sit well with me. And this is when you realize that really, maybe it wasn't just the practice of law I had a problem with. It was working for someone else, which is Mm. why I have a site and podcast called Unemployable. Um, Yeah, I, I slowly discovered that I was more of an entrepreneur who could write. Um, But I turned to the internet first because you could write and build an audience there and you didn't have to ask anyone for permission. It was amazing to me. Now, I was a liberal arts major with a law degree. I had no business sense whatsoever, but I was learning uh, a very different way to go about things kind of from scratch And I I really believe that having no traditional business or marketing experience was actually an asset because certain things 
were turned upside down that I think traditionalists may have had trouble letting go of. Uh, I had none of those problems, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the first marketing book I read was called Permission Marketing by a guy named Seth Godin. And my first business was in uh, email newsletter publishing, which is ironic. That was 98. It's 2021 and they're all the rage right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, you know, to me, if you had media or content, you had to make money with advertising. And, uh, you know, the digital ad market was very fledgling and new. It's really harder to do than people realize. But Gohm's book said, hey, this is a direct marketing medium. If you have something to sell and you can build an audience, then you're in business. And I said, okay, what do I have to sell? And the only thing I had to sell were legal services. Hmm. So my first successful business was a little solo practitioner firm that could have actually grown into quite a bit because guess what? I turned out to be really good at marketing. <laughs> so I ended up, you, you probably remember the Rainmaker years that we had, we ended up selling that business, but Rainmaker really came from the legal profession of being someone who brings in the clients, right? And that's, if you're going to stay practicing law, that's where you want to be one way or another, whether you're with the big firm, whether you're on your own, uh, the Rainmaker is kind of rule. <laughs> so <laughs> But, uh, you know, after that, I had to prove that I could do something that didn't involve law. So I went into real estate. I actually, again, I founded my own real estate brokerage. It was completely virtual. It was basically Zillow seven years before Zillow accepted. It existed, I should say. And uh, it was crude in comparison, obviously. Uh, but it took off like a charm. It was amazing. Um, so that was just a combination of understanding search engines. I knew people were searching for home listings. There was a new technology called IDX that allowed you to display MLS, MLS listings on a website. And then there was content where I explained, and I did leverage my legal background at that point. I basically explained how the real estate industry is stacked against the buyer. And that mm. was my real first foray into persuasive copywriting, where I was basically telling just the truth. This is how it is. And here's how I can help you. And it worked incredibly well. So I was off and running with that. Um, had no real passion for real estate, but it was a good way to make a lot of money. <laughs> and at that point, I just had to prove I could make money without the, the law. And uh, that was the segue into eventually what started Copyblogger. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Let's fast forward to now because um, Copy Blogger, I think you have now either partially or fully exited from, right? Um, maybe you're on the board. I still, yeah, I still own a good chunk of it. Um, but my, you know, after we sold Studio Press and Rainmaker, um, I, I just kind of felt I was done. Uh, and I still ended up being CEO for two more years. All my former partners accepted buyouts, they're off doing their own projects. So I felt like I needed to shepherd us through that. So we were all doing our new things. Um, and of course, I'm still involved at, 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 I guess, almost as a mentor level at Copyblogger. But my new projects are really where my heart lies at this point. Well, let's talk about those and how they all sort of interact with each other. I mentioned Further because I've been a subscriber to your Further newsletter that people can find at Further.net, which is just 
geared right in my wheelhouse. I'm 50 years old. You talk about the happiness curve accelerating after 50 and how that's tied to your career and personal fulfillment. So that's awesome, which led me then to discover um, unemployable uh, in this idea of future freedom. And in both of these concepts, I think you're talking about the concept of a seven-figure small business without employees or investors, all of that swirled together. Can you explain what that ecosystem is and do they interplay or are they separate projects for you? Yeah, at first they um, they didn't interplay and I didn't really think there was anything in common, but then uh, it turned out that they did. Let me see if I can briefly get us up to speed on this. So further was a curated email newsletter, meaning I was sharing other people's content, stuff that I was reading, found valuable. And it was really in the, in the health and personal uh, growth space um, where I didn't feel I had any business telling anyone what to do. At the time I started it, um, we were at the height of the, the business with Copyblogger. We we're making a million bucks a month, completely bootstrapped, and I'm miserable, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you hear these stories all the time uh, because I just felt like I was trapped in a creation of, you know, a monster of my own creation to a certain degree. Yeah. And plus I was just tired of talking about content marketing and marketing in general. So that I started further for myself and I said, Hey, you know, and this is, this is the entrepreneur in me. I'm like, well, I had to bring along an audience if I can, because who knows, maybe someday I'll sell this other stuff. And this would be a really cool digital magazine I could start or whatever. Um, but now it's, um, after we did sell, I narrowed the focus. Originally, it was just general kind of health, personal growth, health, wealth, and wisdom, you know, kind of after the old Ben Franklin's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and after I, we sold Studio Press, I was on sabbatical, traveling around the world. And that's when it occurred to me that I really wanted to talk to people my own age about this stage of life that we're in. And it, it pretty much happened organically because I started finding and sharing more stuff related, like you said, you know, how you get happier at 50, you know, and, and why you're kind of disgruntled during your 40s. I thought that was just me, but right. it's incredibly common, right? Mm-hmm. So I found all these common themes and I said, well, you know, it, it just so happens that people of, you know, age like 41 to 56, I guess, are all Gen X. Uh, so it, it really was at the moment, I think, I'm going to speak to my own generation about our unique thing since no one else will talk about us. Right. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. I used to, well, by the really, way, I used, I used to have a podcast called the generational fight club and I hosted it with another Gen Xer and two millennials. And we used to just fight about the stuff, but yeah, our generation <laughs> gets so overlooked. We're like in the peak of our buying years and nobody wants to market to us. It's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, further really to me is a bigger project than that. The first millennials are turning 40. You've got younger baby boomers. Um, If you're paying attention to the demographic shifts that are happening, we're about to have a gray society where all the, the kind of, I hate to say it, but the most economically powerful people will all be above the age of 60. Mm -hmm. Concurrently, the birth rate is dropping off the cliff. So we're going to have a, you know, a nation and world of old people. Uh, so why not embrace that market now? <laughs> right. As I am, you know, again, and, and talk to my own people because historically marketers and businesses, once you turn 50, they just lump you into this bucket of 50 to dead, right? right. And yeah. 
it doesn't make any sense to me. We have more money than millennials or Gen Z, uh, and yet we're marketed to very poorly. So I think this is a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs out there. So I get really excited about that. Yep. Unemployable was really a podcast that started during the copy blogger days, more designed about like using content and audience to build a small business. That led to the seven figure small idea, which I had done before the company grew to eight figures. I had started three seven figure businesses that I launched off of copy blogger year after year after year. And that's more and more that theme is being picked up on people that, you know, a creative person augmented by, you know, coming AI, just the automation software that we have now, the reach of the internet, one person or a very small company can do outsized things, right? And that to me is more fascinating than the venture capital stuff or, you know, growing to a hundred million or something like that. I love the idea of individual people who find their space throughout, you know, they carve out a niche worldwide of people that are their people and they're able to make a, a great living that way. Yeah, and then you, you mentioned, think... yeah, oh, go ahead. And, no, go ahead. and just to talk. tie the last thing. So future freedom is kind of like a paid newsletter. It's really a membership site. And it was a product I developed for further because lo and behold, I'm talking about health and I'm talking about personal growth. But if you talk to Gen Xers and you really pay attention, it's economic issues, it's concerns about career, it's concerns about being replaced either by an ageist boss or uh, artificial intelligence, you know, mm -hmm. in, so there's a lot of an economic uncertainty there. So all of a sudden everything came together into one thing while copy blogger is still kind of a separate thing that is run by someone else at this point. Well, yeah, I, I mean, that's how I've connected the dots is, you know, you're of a certain age and you're, you're thinking toward the future and you're thinking, all right, what do I truly want out of life now that I'm of an age where I could kind of maybe model it for myself um, because I want that quote unquote future freedom. Um, maybe it's building a seven figure business for myself. That's around my own IP and my own talents. And that I think applies to our listeners who either, I don't know if they're, you know, they're sole practitioners just building their own practice or they're in a huge, large firm and they're expected to build a book of business. That's seven figures. Um, don't all of these things apply to those, per those people as well. I mean, they want the same things. They want autonomy. They want freedom. They want security. They want seven figures perhaps. Um, as a former attorney, do you think this would resonate with the younger Brian Clark who was an attorney, what you're doing now? No, it's interesting because what I did as a young attorney, you know, um, no business, no gray hair, you know, four, four years out basically with content marketing, basically giving away information. And it was funny at that time when other attorneys uh, heard what I was doing, they just thought I was ridiculous to give away free information. I'm like, we're licensed. I mean, what are they going to do? Represent themselves? <laughs> I mean, right. And I heard the same thing from real estate brokers. And I'm like, it just really was a mindset of scarcity instead of abundance. Like the more you give away, the more business you get, right? And I think through the, the legal blogging years in the last 20 years, there were a lot of attorneys who got it. Um, but I, I really see us entering into a, from a nice to have to absolutely essential. Again, whether you're with the, the firm you got to bring in business. You got to maintain or or cultivate those relationships. And there's never been an easier time to go without the firm. 
again, a lawyer augmented with all the legal databases and the technology, automation software, you don't need a big staff um, and you don't need to have every client in the world, but it might be nice to specialize it to a degree that you're charging quite a bit of money at your hourly rate. And then, you know, you can do the math at that point. It's, it doesn't take a whole lot of billable hours to have a very, very nice uh, life and lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And something you said just a moment ago about giving it, giving it away, giving away content. So this is, you're on a pretty niche podcast right now, right? It's about thought leadership marketing specifically for lawyers. And one of the things that we get pushback on is what you referenced earlier. That's giving away ideas and giving away content. And I wanted to just go back to that specifically through the context that you advocate for, which at least it seems to me uh, in that is being more of a content curator, perhaps even more so than a creator. So I'm curious why you uh, sort of espouse that notion. And do you think that that maps to say a busy attorney who doesn't have, he or she doesn't think they have the time to be a prolific content creator. So any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, so I obviously, you know, when I started copy blogger, I was all in on creating, you know, substantial amounts of high quality content. I, basically envisioned myself writing two chapters of a book every week and giving it away, you know, which led to, you know, a $12 million a year software company. That, that's way more lucrative than most people, you know, fair writing books. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you look at it that way, that was a good trade-off. You know, I gave the information away, uh, but oddly enough, we still had paid courses. We still had, you know, premium information. We still had uh, live conferences. So, it's a fallacy to think that uh, you can't give away information, even if you're selling information. Um, but but for something like services, it it just works so well. And I love that you're you know, I used to not like the the concept of thought leadership because I thought it was pretentious. But I've come to realize that's exactly what it is. So back when in '98 '99, um, a young attorney. But I wrote about things that other attorneys who were more senior than I uh, didn't know about. And it was basically focused on internet marketing and advertising. Makes sense, right? I knew that because Mm -hmm. I was teaching it to myself and it was brand new. So I just add in the legal angle and all of a sudden I've got these fledgling internet companies. There was a, a group in Costa Rica who put me on retainer for a few grand a month, whether I did anything or not. I mean, that's the kind of... And because I wasn't trying to build a law firm necessarily, I think I could have, um, I was trying to support the other business. So I would only pick and choose the best clients. But next thing you know, I had a, six, a nice little six-figure business going on uh, that if, if I had wanted to practice law, I suspect I would have stuck with. But I really felt that I didn't and I wanted to do other things. And, and that's kind of been a, a good way to describe the arc of my 20 year career or 20, it's 23. I keep saying 20, but every year that passes, it gets longer. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how time works that way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's, it, we talked about this on a, a couple episodes ago, we talked about, you know, thought leadership for beginners and it addressed that sort of 
hesitance of that some people might have, especially junior attorneys who think, well, no one's going to regard me as a thought leader. I don't even think of myself as a thought leader. So just the term thought leadership sort of turns them off. But one of the things that we advocated for to get them over that hump is to maybe just start with curation then, you know, curate other thought leaders, bona fide thought leaders and add your perspective to it. So um, that's something that you've done, even though I think you are a thought leader and a futurist and somebody that I could believe is a true thought leader, but you're still advocating for a curation strategy. Yeah. Well, it, it is, you know, go back to further when I felt that I was unqualified to talk about these, these things, but I was qualified to share and then give it a few years and I'm reading all these related books and all this content, I am now a subject matter expert (laughs) (laughs) because that's how you get there, right? Um, I think for attorneys, it's important to demonstrate, um, you know, you don't want to just link to other people's stuff. Uh, You want to interject your own commentary and perspective in there as well. But again, let's talk about what future freedom is. It's it's really a, a double... Uh, play on words in that, uh, you know, it's about freedom in your own future, but it's future from the the emerging uh, future. I mean, we're, we're entering into a phase of accelerating change due to technology, due to demographics, due to things like climate change and post-capitalism and all of this kind of stuff is leading to a very messy world. But instead of being apprehensive, you need to look at it as just an unwavering flood of opportunity. And I think for for savvy attorneys as well, if you can help people uh, make sense and provide context within change, especially business change disrupted by AI here and, uh, you know, virtual reality there and biotech, uh, renewable energy, uh, again, uh, the, just the demographic issues that we talked about with an aging population. If you can give people guidance from the legal angle there, they're going to hire you because they're going to assume that you understand the law. That's supposed to be a given. What they mm-hmm. want to know is that you understand the context of their business in the face of uncertainty. That's what marketing is for a legal professional, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. We just got off, what, 12, 14 months of enormous disruption that maybe wasn't entirely permanent, but it certainly was, it's, you know, transformative overnight. And so, and I think some attorneys needed, they figured out quickly that the old way of doing things wasn't going to work in that environment. And maybe even potentially going forward, they're going to have to embrace things like content and curation and like AI and digital tools and all of those things. So well, one thing that the pandemic did is just, whoever was holding out against digital media is not holding out anymore. Right. Right. We increasingly went digital, virtualized, whatever you want to say. And I hate to say it in that sense, at least the pandemic did produce some good because other people, you know, might've just kept going. It ain't broke, you know, don't fix it. Uh, And then one day they run into a wall that they can't get out of. Right. So I think this, forces a lot of people to realize I do need to embrace uh, online. I need to understand what's going on there. Uh, And if you can focus on the impacts of, you know, one or more of these emerging technologies and make sense of it for your clients who are not paying attention, really 
Thought leadership means I pay attention to this more than you do. And I'm going to tell you where things are going. That's it. It's not, it's not pretentious. It sounds that way. And I get it, (laughs) but, but I've come to terms with it because if if anyone's paying attention to you uh, to understand some topic, you are leading them and you're leading the way they think it's that simple. So don't think about it as some grandiose, you know, high level thing. And that's what people are looking for these days is they, they, they want somebody to take them by the hand and say, I've been here before. Here's how you fix that problem. As opposed to 10, 15 years ago, we were like just enamored by the fact that you could type anything into Google and get a hundred blue links. And now you got your choice. And people are overwhelmed with that. They don't want choices. They want the path. Absolutely. Cool. Well, um, this has been great. I uh, totally am an advocate for an attorney to look into future freedom. Like I said, I actually joined getting a ton out of it already. Um, You know, I, I shouldn't couch it this way. You'll probably slap my hand, but it's like super affordable. So you think getting access to somebody who's built seven figure businesses, you know, as a hobby, it's going to be super expensive. It's not, it's ton of value. Um, Where would you want? It it is brand new. And, but it, here's a lesson, you know, as things go on, you keep raising the prices. So (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Right. So I was fortunate enough to get in early, Um, but it's still early. So people can get in Uh, where would, we want people to go to find either stuff about future future. I'm sorry, uh, further future freedom or unemployable. Well, you know, on this topic, so, you know, what future freedom basically advocates for is the concept of a personal enterprise where let's say you're an attorney and you start off, uh, you're looking for a vehicle to obviously get more clients. If you build an audience the right way, not only will you get all the clients you want, But then there are other opportunities that come from having that audience. That's how I was able to launch, you know, a a training company, um, a WordPress design company and a SaaS company, 2007, 2008, 2009. They both hit seven figures, all three, I should say, in revenue in a year. And that's just because of the momentum that once you have that audience and you can read what they need, you're in a perfect position to develop a, a product that's not going to fail. It's going to be a home run. So a lot of attorneys are like, hey, I'll just be happy being able to get more clients and bill more. And I get that. But what if, you know, whether it's just investments in emerging legal technology or other technology startups that are in your realm because you became a well-known name, that's kind of the idea of the personal enterprise. So there's a free pretty extensive free course. Uh, if you go to futurefreedom.com that explains all of that. If you're interested, you don't have to buy anything. It, I think that alone would change a lot of people's minds um, about how to market legal services. And if you are interested in joining like Tom did, then awesome. It's still very affordable at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was my pathway. I got hooked on that audio. Um, it's funny because I, I wasn't in the mood at the time for an audio lesson that I figured was going to be, you know, 30 minutes of whatever. And each episode was like maybe seven or eight minutes. You've got the transcript. I'm reading along. I get six minutes into the first one and I was so hooked. Like, so I, again, that, that whole thing is free. So take the audio course for sure. And then whatever path to take after that is up to you. Cool, Brian. Well, I thank you very much. I wish Jay were here to meet you, but um 
I'm going to ask you a quick uh, question here because uh, it's part of our normal methodology, um, but Jay's not here to, to do it. So I got to do it with you. And that's, uh, we do a quick segment, usually at the outset of the podcast called overrated, underrated. This one's right in your wheelhouse. Email marketing, overrated or underrated? Underrated. It's still the most powerful. I don't care if you're trying to get clients, you're selling software, you're selling courses, you're selling, you got an e-commerce shop. Email is the number one conversion channel. That's how people buy. Um, everyone still has email if they have a job. Um, and everyone has been predicting email would die for the last 25 years and it's stronger than ever. So I would say it's underrated because most digital entrepreneurs and marketers now have embraced it that it's not going anywhere. But I think if you talk to your average person, they're still using email, but it wouldn't occur to them that that should be their primary marketing channel. And I mean, you have to, uh, it goes back to that book in 99, permission marketing. You email people who sign up to hear from you. And that's why you kind of take this uh, content or media approach where you're, you've got a legal newsletter or what have you that's sharing valuable uh, information from you, sharing valuable related information to that person's industry or profession. And next thing you know, you're getting hired more. But like I mentioned before, as that audience grows, there will be other opportunities to make money that don't involve selling your time uh, at no matter how high your rate gets. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's cool. uh, that is an easy one. Yep. I couldn't agree more. It's like, too, it's, it's becoming one of the few uh, methods of communication that aren't being controlled by an algorithm that's not of your yeah. own. And that's your asset. You can change software providers. You can do whatever. But that email list of names can be, you know, downloaded, backed up, and should be treated that way. Uh, it's not subject to the whims of Mark Zuckerberg. It's not hmm. uh, controlled by the Twitter algorithm or Instagram, whatever. If you've got a social following, the, the, the wisdom is to move that over to email as expeditiously as you can. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Good. Good place to wrap up. I appreciate it, Brian. It's good to finally talk to you after being a, a fanboy for a number of years now. So um, we'll have to have you on again sometime when Jay's around. So thanks again. Yeah. Just let me know when, when he's back, we'll do another one. Sounds good. All right. Thanks to everyone for uh, listening to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I promise Jay will be back next week. So you don't have to just listen to me. All right. There you go. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.